I'd like you to think of one of the finest Christians that you know. Somebody who not only professes to be a Christian, but also lives out his or her faith. What qualities do you see in that person that embodies a Christian identity? Would one of those characteristics be humility? Do you sometimes encounter a person who claims to be a Christian, but his Christianity leads to a kind of smugness or even arrogance? Let's talk about this apparent contradiction on today's episode of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron is a pastor who deals with many people on different levels. Do you encounter some who, because of their Christian identity, have become smug? Oh, for sure. I, th- th- it's uh, common? Oh, very common. I mean, oh. it's common all over the... I mean, it's common in, in every group, every, you know, every group that... Every different ideological group, every different people group. Uh, humility is one of the most counterintuitive. It, it's, it's the least likely of all the virtues. And, and the reason why is because if you think that you're right, and everybody thinks that they're right, nobody thinks that they're wrong. Everybody, if, if you thought you were wrong, you would sw- switch what you think to something else. So everybody thinks that what they think is right. The, 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 the natural outcome of that is if you think that you're right, you're going to end up thinking that other people are wrong. And if you're right and they're wrong, it's almost unavoidable that you'll feel smarter than them or you know, uh, more privileged than them or uh, in terms of morality, more moral than them, but, you know, in terms of behavior, you, you know, uh, more moral than them. or th- th- it's, it's just unavoidable. And Christians fall into the same trap as well. And I know over the course of the uh, time we have together, we'll talk about why it shouldn't be the case for Christians. But Christians also fall into the trap of thinking that because they they believe that what they think is right, they think that other people are wrong, and that makes them more intelligent or more with it or, or smarter, that because their behavior, uh, at least the behavior they think people should have, is the right behavior, they end up looking down on people whose behavior is different. It's almost unavoidable. Okay, so for pretty much just about every group out there, I'm sure that's true, but... Christians. Christians talk about this. Christians here preaching, teaching about this. Self-exaltation is bad. It's wrong. Right. Uh, self-deprecation, if I can use that term, is preferable. Humility is the goal. Are we leading the league when it comes to all the various groups that uh, contemplate this uh, task and this challenge? Are we leading the way in uh, humility, showing or how to be humble people oh, oh, out there to yeah. the world. Uh, so, so first of all, probably self-deprecation is probably too strong. Self-deprecation, self-deprecation maybe misses the point. So you Why? don't. What's well, wrong? What's wrong with that term? Because um, God created humans. So I'm speaking as a Christian now. Uh, God created humans in His image to reflect who He is, and that means that whoever it is that you are has been designed by a creator God to be a certain way. And because of that, if he's a good God, if he's a God of beauty, if he's a God of truth, there's something about every human being that's beautiful and true. And to cut that down would also be a a crime against God. However, 
uh, I, I do like humility. That's that's a much, I think, much more biblical way to talk about it. Christians should be leading in the, the, the way in this. Um, like I said at the beginning, it's counterintuitive. There's no if you go back and you look at the, uh, you know the the. If you go back and you look at the writings from the Greco-Roman wor- world from 2,000 years ago, Christian thinkers like uh, Paul and Peter, they agree almost universally with pagan thinkers about the virtues, honesty, uh, bravery, um, uh, uh, tr- uh, uh, hardworking, these sorts of things, these sorts of virtues. Uh, um, frugality. These are all virtues that all of these people agree with. One of the biggest ones that they radically disagree with is Paul and the rest of the writers of the New Testament insist that we must be humble. We, we're not allowed to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. That's f- completely foreign to the writers of the Greco-Roman world. Humility was was not a virtue. Humility was a characteristic of slaves. The lower classes were to be humble in the presence of the, their superiors. And Paul comes along and says, and Jesus comes along and says, no, everybody should be humble. So Christians should be uh, Christians should be uh, leading the, the way in this. And, and unfortunately, we fall into the trap too often. Of, so we're not. We're not no, leading the way. We're just pretty much like everybody else? Some Christians are. I know some Christians who are wonderfully humble. But many Christians— I know some secular people who are wonderfully humble. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's uh, it's a beautiful thing when when you recognize it. It's a beautiful thing as long as we understand that when we recognize uh, that humility is a virtue, that that's actually a Christian thing. It's not a it's not a pagan thing. It's not a secular thing. Only Christianity extols humility as an absolute virtue, and so because uh, uh, you know when we recognize that in other people, um, it's. Uh, it's a connection to who Jesus is. Christians should be, all of Christians should be, not all Not all of Christians are, though, unfortunately. So we would assert that grace, God's grace, that's a gift to us. Right. Faith, that's a gift to us. Right. Christ himself is a gift to us. Yes. But James says in chapter 4, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Yeah. Making it sound like humility is, or humbleness is not a gift. It's a it's a job that we have to be about. Well, that's probably uh, you know that's uh, getting into the mystery of. And it'd be interesting to see where we go with this. Getting into the mystery of how God can, uh, you know how how all the good things in this world can be God's gift, and yet humans are called to exercise those things. The New Testament doesn't actually you know, really play around with that distinction a whole lot. It just assumes that they're both true. We're told that grace is a gift. We're told that faith is a gift. But we're also told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. We're told that repentance is a gift, but we're also told, repent. Um, This is another one of those cases where humility is a gift of God, but we're also told that, you know, humble yourself. And and there's really not, the New Testament writers were, were, uh, I don't know if they, Paul is philosophical enough to explore the tension between those two things, that God's completely in charge of all things, and yet humans are called to act in their free agency for good. Paul's a philosopher enough to to play with those things. I don't know if James is or not. He just kind of throws stuff together, and they're both true, you know, but he's not really interested in exploring what the connection is. But, but 
God is the one who makes us humble. God is the one who gives us, you know, God's the one who, uh, like you said, Chuck, I'm just repeating myself now. God's the one who gives us faith for Christians. God's the one who gives us repentance. And yet we're called to have those, uh, we're called to, uh, to repent and to believe. And there's really no tension between those two things. I think humility is in the same category. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So am I to follow in his footsteps now, and it's time for me to humble myself? Jesus humbled himself for me. Yeah. Now it's up to me to humble myself. Yeah. Is that the way it works? Oh, yeah, that's the whole point of that text as it begins, you know, First uh, 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 Philippians uh, 2 verse 5 begins, let this mind be among you guys which was also in Christ Jesus, who, ellipsis, a couple verses in this description who Jesus is, who humbled himself and became obedient to death. And it's important, too, to recognize there. So so first of all, two, two points. First of all, Paul is telling us Christians that we should be like Jesus. We need to be humble like Jesus is. Um, in the context of Philippians, in the context of uh, the, all of Paul's writings, that humility, but you know, Jesus is less an example, and and it's true that he is, but he's less an example and more power for it. The the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus gives us the ability uh, to actually be humble. That's the first thing: is that we're to be humble like Jesus is, because Jesus works his humility out in us. The second point is this: is that humility there is not a feeling. It's not sort of this, you know, woe is me or self-pitying feeling. Humility is an action that he accomplished. Here he is, highest status, Jesus. Christians believe that Jesus is eternally God, the highest status of any being in the universe because he's the only being who's uncreated. The God is the only being that's uncreated, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He chooses to become a human being. He chooses to become like his creatures in order to suffer and go through what we all suffer and go through, you know, just the everyday annoyances, pains, lonelinesses, hungers, deprivations of life, ultimately to go through death itself for us. So it's not that Jesus was, you know, feeling humble, like, oh, you know, shucks, you know, I'm just trying to do my job here. He actually became a servant for, for us to benefit us. And when the Bible talks about humility, it's talking about less, you know, how do you feel about yourself and more about what do you do? You know, do, do you think yourself better than others? Do you put yourself better than others? Make yourself, do you talk to others as though you're better than them? Or in your thoughts and in your words and in your actions, are you a servant to others? And in the ancient world, that's what humility was. It was the quality of the slave. And when Paul calls us to be humble, when Jesus calls to be humble, he's basically saying, become a servant, become a servant to all. Do you think there's a difference between the words to be humbled and to be humiliated? In English, probably, uh, you know, probably. Uh, they definitely have different connotations, I think. They sure do. And I wonder if yeah. they mean the same thing, but we've sort of applied different connotations to them. Right. Uh so do you mean like to humble yourself is that's a that, that for, from a Christian perspective that's a good thing to be humiliated to be shamed that's that's a bad thing you know we're not meant to be 
shamed. Although, if we are shamed, it means that we were trying to make ourselves to be great and we weren't. That's kind of the you know baseline definition of shame or humiliation, I guess, would be you know you think that you're something and you're you know you stand at the free throw line in the big game and you're kind of cocky you're you're, you're the man and you and you airball the free throw and everybody on the opposing team kind of hoots and hollers the fans kind of hoot and holler and it's it's embarrassing you've been Air humiliated ball. right because you you thought that you were something that you're not but i, I took my uh youngest daughter uh out to well, actually, I was, my my son and I were going to hit some golf balls the other day, and she came with us because she just wanted to hang out, and I I let her hit some, and you know she a lot of swinging and missing, a lot of topping the ball, hitting you know hitting the you know swinging as hard as she could and hitting the ball about five feet, but she was having the time of her life, and you know she said to me recently, I want I want to go back and do that again because there was no humiliation in that because she had no preconceived notion that she was a great golfer. And when, when you go into a situation as a servant, as humble, you're going to avoid being humiliated. I'm not sure if that's what you're pointing out in your question, but I think that's true. It's just a straight-up question. I've, yeah. I've wondered if those two words are interchangeable or because of the connotations that I applied to them, Yeah, if those kind of connotations are valid. Yeah. Paul writes in Romans 12, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, right. but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is a very interesting verse, I think. it's For me, it's complex. Yeah, it's a lot of moving parts. First of all, he talks about the gift of grace. He's, mm-hmm. he's expressing this simply because he's already received the, the gift of grace. Right. And... I think you pretty much said, if I heard you right, that we all think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We all do that. We yeah. we think we're right, and if we don't think we're right, we change till we're right. And then that puts us above everybody that we think is wrong. So how does one who may be right, maybe you are right, go about the business of applying sober judgment and not thinking? Yeah. That I am more than I I am. Yeah, it's really a great it's really a, a great set of verses there in Romans twelve because, and this comes right down to the heart of the matter. Christians should be humble. I, you know, we understand. I, I think that like I understand it when non Christians aren't humble, because like I said, that's just the way. I mean, it's just logically the way it works. If you're right about something, you're gonna think that you're right, and the people who disagree with you are wrong. I, that's I that's unavoidable, and I, I don't think that that's necessarily evil. You can't, it would be foolish to think that you're wrong when you're right. But here, but here's the difference with Christians though. And this verse is great because like you point out, Paul starts off by saying, for by the grace given to me, which is Christian speak for this wasn't, this isn't, this isn't me. It's not my intelligence. It's not my strength. It's not my wisdom. It actually was a gift of God. What I'm about to say to you. And then he finishes up by saying, um, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And that's a fancy way of saying if you believe this, it's not because you're smart. It's because God has given you; He's assigned. So it does begin with God, absolutely, all of it. But and this is the heart of the matter: is that for Christians, everything that's good about us has been a gift of God and doesn't come from us. In other words, the point of Christianity. So, so the way that pride works is: if you think that you're right, you're going to think that other people are wrong, and you're going to think that you're better than them or smarter than them. Here's the point of Christianity. You aren't right. I mean, Christian, I'm talking to Christians. We aren't right. We aren't right. We don't know anything. 
all of our all of our brain power, all of our intellectual abilities are geared towards error. That's what the Bible teaches. All of our behavior is self-centered. It's broken. There's like Paul says in three Romans three, quoting one of the Psalms. There's none all righteous. It? Really, all of it? Yeah. There's none righteous. No, not one. All of all of human works have been corrupted by the fall. In in, in this, by the way, I I don't. I don't know how much hard I have to argue for this, but if any unbelievers are listening, I would just say you don't really have to have the Bible to understand this. If you just look at the news, if you just look at the way the world's gone, you can just see a classic picture of this. Humans have done a terrific job of screwing the world up. What Christianity says is Aaron Miller is wrong. Aaron Miller is wrong. So right off the bat, I am forbidden from being proud that I've got the truth. It's not my truth. And I don't even understand it when I do have it. It's God's truth. And if he gives it to me, it's an act of grace on his part. But it's not because I'm some sort of intellectual giant or because I figured out this mystery of the universe. I'm actually wrong. And I should always think that I'm wrong. Now, I know, so here's what Christians do. A lot of Christians believe what I'm saying. But when it comes right down to it, they think, okay, yes, we're wrong and it's all a gift from God. But now that we've got that gift, we're actually right. <laughs> and so that's where it's sneak that, that And that, we like it. And we like it. And we're proud to tell you that we're right. And we're proud to tell you that you're wrong. And I, I'm not so what I'm doing here is I'm not so in, in our Snapchat world, uh, a conversation like this is instantly going to be non comprehensible because you're either right or you're wrong. And what I'm saying is so, so. There, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who say there's right and wrong and I'm right. And then there's people who say there's no such thing as right or wrong, so just live and let live. And what I'm saying is that neither one of those are a good way to live life. First of all, you can't say that there's no right or wrong, just live and let live. That has all sorts of like philosophical problems. The, the number one, I don't want to go too far afield here, but the, the number one of which is nobody can actually live like that. No, We all believe that you know, if you invest money, you're going to want to believe that there's actually right and wrong. If if you start a friendship with somebody, you're going to want to believe that there's such a thing as loyalty and truth-telling. And so it's, it's impossible to live like that. We pull that card out, there's no such thing as right or wrong when we feel like doing what we want. Anyway, I, I, I just think you can't live with that. The other option is, is I'm right and everybody else is wrong, and so I'm smart. That's also not correct according to the Bible because no one is right. No, not one. So what I'm advocating for is not a middle view, but an alternate view of reality in which which I am a part of the problem. I am wrong. My behavior is wrong. My thoughts are wrong. However, God and his grace has given me outside help. I don't own the truth he's given me, though. I'm actually still prone to, to, to to, to getting things wrong, even though God has, by grace, given me truth and given me uh, directions for good behavior, etc. Even though by His grace He's rescued me from the ultimate penalty of that error, it's still not mine to own. It's His to own, and it's a gift of His. And so I'm called to be humble. Here's another scripture. This time from Matthew 16, words of Jesus. He says, "If anyone would come after me, and for those people who are Christians who are listening to us, I think they all would say yes. Mm-hmm. It is my desire to come after Him, to follow Him." If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, right away, 
my mind goes to work on how can we minimize this deny myself stuff? How, yeah. how, what's the strength of this? I mean, how, this is, this can blow you away. If yeah. You take it to the max. Yeah. It really, really, it gets right to the heart of what Christian, what, what, it gets right to the heart of who God is and who Jesus is and what he did and what he calls us to be, like you pointed out in that Philippians 2 text, Chuck, who in Christ he calls us to be. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's the same same language from Philippians 2 about when Jesus became a servant. He humbled himself and became a servant, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So, uh, you know, unlike Marxism, Buddhism, capitalism, whatever it is, the ism that you subscribe to, existentialism, postmodernism. Unlike those, which, you know, you, you, you pick up the books, you know, you read Marx and Engels, or, or you read your favorite existentialist writer, Kierkegaard, or, uh, you know, somebody like that. Uh, and you read it, and you learn it, and then that's yours, and now you know it, and now you can tell other people what the truth is according to you and how they're wrong. Christianity says, though, if anyone wants to follow me, don't grab the rules, learn the rules. Now you're smarter than everybody else. If if, if anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves. You are signing up to be the slave of the world. That's what what Jesus is saying. Whoever, later on, he says in, in Mark, he says, whoever, in a similar sort of context, he says, Whoever is the greatest of all will be the least of all, and whoever wants to be the greatest of all will become the slave of all. And what he's saying is, is that part of what Christianity is, is you signed up to be the slave of the world. Now, too often Christians Christians get engaged in the, we're right and you all are wrong, so let's shout you down. And I'm not saying that it's inappropriate at all for Christians to say this is the truth, but our attitudes are not frequently those of people who have denied themselves and taken up the cross to follow Jesus. In other words, to take up the cross, to carry upon our shoulders in the name of Jesus, the sins of our neighbors and the sins of the world around us. Instead, we're very much, we're right and you're wrong. So I should be a monk. No, uh, no talking, no socialization, no friends, no movies, no TV, uh, no eating. I should just Go somewhere and uh, be an asceticist. Is that the right word? Uh, Asceticism? An ascetic, I think. Ascetic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, no, that's not really, I mean, the, the, the whole point is, you know, to, 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 the whole point of being humble, according to Jesus, is if you're humble, you're the servant of all. You know, to be humble by yourself uh, is completely missing the point. The point is, is to put others before yourself to let each one of us think of uh, of others better than themselves. So for us to treat, look, so, so for the Christian church, here's, here's what my church needs to be in the town that we're in. We need to be the slave of the town. We need to be, we're not here. What? We're not here for the town to serve us. We're here. You're meddling now, Pastor. Yeah. For, for all of us, this is not, this is, again, this is non-intuitive. It, it was in the first century. It is now. Humility is not. It's a counterintuitive virtue. All the rest of it is completely understandable. You know, if I said Christianity helps you to be brave, we would say, okay, that's good. Christianity helps you to be a better husband or a better wife. That's good. Better parent. That's great. Christianity helps you to be more honest. That's great. Christianity helps you to be humble. 
that's where it's we don't what are you what does that mean that's where even? you just went to meddling that's right what does that even mean and like uh how do you even put that into practice but jesus says we're called to be he he put us here to be jesus himself in this community and if jesus came not to serve not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many he's called me and my church not to serve not to be sorry not to be served but to serve and to give ourselves to give up our church as a ransom for our neighborhood. And that's what humility is. It's not, you know, it's not a feeling. It's not a decision to go home and you know, whatever it was that you said, become a monk, uh, you know, to give up, uh, to give up the good things of life. It's a decision made by the power of the grace of God. It's the only way it can be made to live out the crucifixion of Jesus in my town by becoming the servant of my town. In one of the pastoral letters, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to his protege Timothy regarding identifying new pastors, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So this suddenly got serious as a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, what does puffed up mean? So p- puffed up is, uh, it's, an, it's an idiom. In Greek, that doesn't—it's not used a whole lot, and it's related to the word for—it's um, related to the word for making smoke, for creating a billow of smoke. And uh, if you want me to tell you how that became to be a metaphor for being conceited, I'm not sure, but it does have a similar sort of flavor as big-headedness does in English. You know, they have a big head, uh, just means you know I'm. Nobody likes the big head. No, I'm better than everybody else. I'm the smartest person in the room. I've got it right, and you guys have it wrong. Uh, You know, uh, my house is better than your house, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, so what what Paul's saying there is, is that new Christians should not be in leadership in a church because, and I've seen this all the time with new Christians, new Christians come to learn the truth of Christianity. And when they come to learn the truth of Christianity, they frequently – assimilate that truth in the same way that they assimilated, you know, in their previous part of their life where they became, you know, when they became a communist or, you know, when they became, uh, uh, you know, an existentialist, you know, they, they read some books, they learned some new stuff. They think, oh, wow, this is amazing. Now I know the truth. It's time to go tell everybody. And that's fine with, with, you know, if, you know, if you learn something new about the tennis swing, that's going to help other people, and you're like super excited. But the problem with that is, though, Christianity works exactly the opposite. The truth of Christianity is there to fuel us to become slaves. And if you if you approach Christianity, and it's it's hard for new believers. It's actually just something you have to grow into and mature into. I'm having trouble with that slave word. That's right. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of words you could use yeah. that would soften that blow a little bit, but that one pretty much is a chin shot. When you, when you say our goal is to become slaves. Yeah, and, and, and you don't feel like that. When you first become a Christian, there's too much excitement over this new, fresh relationship with God and the hope that comes with that, the forgiveness of sins, you know, the relief that someone has figured out a way to take away the things that are wrong about you. N- new community is exciting. A lot of people will start making you know Christian friends. And so a lot of people start studying the Bible and like getting into the history of the Bible and it's super exciting and it's very, very easy to overlook the fact that we're, we're called to be slaves and you only grow into that over time that 
actually all of that excitement is it's essential it's good but it, it becomes the it becomes the 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 foundation for a life of slavery and service and so you got to get past the fact that oh man this is amazing i know i know all these things that i've never known before you've got to get past that if you're going to be this is, it's great for all christians to go through that but if you're going to be a christian leader you have to get past that to this is amazing truth and i'm being called to take up the cross and now this is going to be this is going to be beautiful but it's definitely going to be hard. So maybe we're talking to somebody today who's found us for the first time. Maybe this is the first craving answers, craving God they listen to. Uh, you're a pastor, been a pastor for a number of years. All of us in our various vocations, whether it's clergy or whether it's laity, we deal with the temptation to become puffed up as an ordained man, because I'm thinking you've got an advantage. As an ordained man, have you experienced this temptation? My experience with my in my own life as a pastor and in my relationship with other pastors is that um, pastors live a sort of a dual life. Uh, we live a life of um, public pride on one hand and public humiliation on the other hand. When we're in a church context, public pride is kind of the temptation. Like, I'm in charge here. I know Greek and Hebrew. You know, I'll tell you what the Bible means. We should do what I want to do around here. I'm the man of God or something like that, whatever. People don't usually say that out loud, but that's kind of like a feeling that many pastors have. Public humiliation, though, in the so-called secular sector or public sector, you know, you're at a party and you're, uh, you know, you're uh, hanging out with some friends and they introduce you to a new friend and they say, what do you do? You know, I'm a Christian pastor. It's just a little bit, Can you know. speak up a little bit there, that's please? That's right, yeah. So, uh, you know, at least in our, people don't respect Christian pastors in our culture. So, um, you know, it's, it's very much like you kind of, I got to apologize for myself. I've got to apologize for uh, all the bad pastors that this person has seen on TV, you know? And, uh, but we're actually not, not called to be either one of those. We're called to be, we're called to love and embrace the vocation that God has given us, like like all Christians are, you know, the, the the gifts that God has given us, we're called to enjoy those and to be thankful to God for those. But of course, we are also to be servants. And in my church, God has called me not to be the boss of the church. Elders are addressed in First Peter five, and He specifically says, "Elders do not lord it over the congregation." Paul tells his disciples, "You guys want to be the bosses? You want to be in charge? That's the way the Gentiles work." That's the way leadership works in the world. That the the that the bosses but not so are at the top. with you. Not so with you, because whoever this is the context of the verse I quoted earlier. Whoever wants to be greatest among you will be the slave of all. And that's as a, as a Christian pastor, as an elder in the Christian church, I am called to be the slave of my congregation. I am not there to be in charge of my church, except to the extent that being in charge means being the slave. I'm there to support. I'm there to to give my life for them. And I'll say this, and in, in, uh, in, in my personal life as a pastor, I've gone through quite a transformation. Um, I, I haven't talked about it too much in the podcast, but I used to be a pastor of a Baptist church, and I thought I had it together. I thought I was smart. I had the degrees, um, working on my skills, my pastor skills, and uh, I thought I had it all together, and then I, I completely fell. This is a classic pride coming before fall. And 
um, I lost it. I, I fell away from the faith. I sinned against God and against my family and against uh, the Christian church, and I completely rejected Christianity. And God, by his grace, um, brought me back to himself. And I, I, was, I was a lay member of a Lutheran church for four or five years before I ended up becoming a pastor. That It wasn't my – I didn't decide, hey, I'm going to become a pastor now. It was actually circumstances, um, other people's direction that brought me to this path. Maybe even the hand of God? I mean, that's that's what I wanted it to be. I, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was done making decisions for myself. Every sort of decision I had made, you know, my career plans and all had all been completely screwed up. They'd all been centered on personal advancement, and I had just destroyed myself and my family and my friends. And I was determined I was going to make no more plans. Whatever happened, God, whatever you want to do, you want to do. And um, because of that. I'm not saying I I'm not saying I don't struggle with this, but I'm all too painfully aware of how screwed up I am and how prone, completely prone to making a mess of my life and to violating God's will and uh, abandoning his love for me. And so I always when I look at myself in the mirror, I see failed pastor. That's what I see. I also see God's grace, though. That's that's the flip side. I mean, this is not self-deprecation. I, I see God's grace, and I see his mercy. And I know things about forgiveness that most Christians I know don't know, and I don't want them to know. I don't want them to experience the power of the gospel in ways that I've experienced it in that specific way. But, I mean, the flip side, of course, is when I look in the mirror, I see somebody who wouldn't take too much for this broken, deeply fallible human being to fall away. In the wake of that trial, would it be correct to say that God humbled you, or could I even go so far as to say God humiliated you? He definitely humbled me. I humiliated myself because I acted like I was right, and I had it all together, and people should listen to me, and I'm dynamic, and I'm smart, and I'm a great speaker, and I'm a great Christian. I humiliated myself. You know, I'm the person who was like, acted like they had it all together, and then it turned out that the emperor had no clothes. It's my fault for walking out there naked like that. But God was the one who said, hey, I got to point out something to you. You're actually nothing without me. He humbled me, but he humbled me in order to rescue me, in order to like, – if, if it wasn't for God, my view of myself would be completely devastating. I would hate myself. And I'll be honest with you, I, I really do still struggle with this hate, hate, you know, hating myself with, you know, thinking you are such a loser. How could you do that? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he has given me value because he's pointed out to me that he's redeemed me, that my value is not in being right or being a pastor or being a great husband or being a great father or a great friend or a smart Christian, my value is not in me knowing Greek and Hebrew. My value is not in me being able to say big words from church history. All of those things will flee away, will flee away. But my value is, is that he looks at me and says, for the sake of my son, Jesus Christ, Aaron, you are my son, and I love you unconditionally. With the background of that trial, as you have described it in my mind, now I want you to Take off your pastor hat for a second, not as a pastor, but just as a friend or acquaintance of yeah. people all over the place. 
When you encounter someone whose Christian witness is undermined by his or her Jesus smugness, arrogance, or conceit, what do you do for them? Oh my gosh, probably not very much. Not as much as I should. I, I I'm real scared of you know living in the Snapchat world. Like if I have a, if I know somebody a Christian who's a Christian and is like everybody else is wrong and I'm right and we're, the Christians are right and you guys are all doomed. I I know that I should say hey that's not the way to go about it. Like you're called to be humble. It's it's not just that you're driving people away. It's that you're called to be a slave. You're called to love people into the kingdom of God. I agree with you that the gospel is true and that the Bible is God's word. I agree with that. But but if you're called to be a slave, powering people into the kingdom with your abusive behavior is not going to work, and it's actually offensive. Uh, I should say this sort of thing. I, I should, but I too frequently don't because... I know this kind of person. I've been this kind of person. If I say to this kind of person the things that I just said to you, he would say, oh, you don't, you're caving in on the truth, aren't you? You're just trying to accommodate to a weak culture. And I don't feel like wearing that label. I don't feel like fighting that fight. And so I all too often keep my mouth shut. Part of this is like, again, part of this comes back to building relationship. I need to build loving Christian relationships with Christians who are jerks. So I can speak truth. Can I quote you on that? Sure. So I can speak truth into their life, and they can speak truth into my life. Because if I'm wrong, there's certainly things that they have to teach me. But instead, I, I you know, I'm, I'm scared of them. I'm scared of the confrontation. I'm scared of being pigeonholed as weak, and so I stay away from it. But it, that's actually pride, right? I mean, you know, my body's a humble thing. Just keep my mouth shut. Actually, that's pride. I don't want to. I I don't want to be affected by their bad behavior. I don't want to be held up as weak when, you know, if they call me out instead, if I'm really, truly humble, if I really, truly am their servant, I'll become their friend. I'll love my way into their life so that I can talk about some of this stuff with them, but I'm not humble enough. Probably this would be my last question. Probably the, everybody I know, probably everybody, you know, could be a little more humble. We probably don't know anybody ourselves included who can say, I don't want to say it because I'm too humble, but I think I'm about as humble as I can get. Right. Nobody, yeah. nobody can say that. So as we wrap up this episode, it'd be worth spending some time thinking about, well, that's probably true. I probably could go to work on James, humble yourself. Yes. Yeah. I, I probably ought to apply that Yeah. instead of just skating along thinking that I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. What's your first step today to move in the direction of humility? Yeah, I think you got it. I think we, we all have to go to the Philippians 2, 5 through 11 move. Let this mind be amongst you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he, like we talked about, he kind of outlines very poetically, Paul outlines who Jesus is and was, what he did for us on the cross what that resulted in, every knee bowing and every tongue confessing at some point in the future that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what that means is, is if we're going to be humble, which is not a human, it's not a human ability because, like I said, if you think you're right, you're not going to be humble. And it's impossible to not think you're right. It's just the way it works, you, else you would change the way you think. What we have to do if we want to truly be humble is definitely not try to work up the emotions of humility. That's not what humility in the Bible is about. It's not about a feeling. 
What we have to do is we have to fill ourselves up on the one true, capital H, humble, capital S, servant, Jesus. And so to be in God's word and to fill up on who Jesus is, to do it with prayer, to go to the gospels and to go to you know to the whole Bible and, and say, God, will you work in my heart a heart of humility? Will you make, for those of you who are Christians, you've been united to Jesus, you've been plugged into Jesus, to say, God, you've plugged me into your son, Jesus. Would you help? Would you make his life, his power, his love for others, his servant, his servant's heart, would you make that real in my behavior and in my thoughts and in my words to fill up on the sacrament, to fill up on the, the promise that Jesus is for us and has given himself to us in his word and sacraments, and just to fill up on Jesus and to, to, to begin to, to be a conduit for who Jesus is for us and allow that to flow through us to others, I think that's probably the first and biggest step to real true Christian humility. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for being willing to bury your soul here a little bit for those who are listening to our podcast. And we want to say thank you, dear listener, for spending some time with us here on Craving Answers, Craving God. We're very interested in your criticism, both positive and negative. If you put St. James, glencarbon.org into your search engine, you'll find a contact us option at the top of the page. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production expert, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rathard for Craving Answers, Craving God.